Well, as the Russians continue to drop bombs on Ukraine, the West pretty much imploded the Russian economy to some extent today. They woke up to face the impact of severe sanctions uh, placed for its invasion of Ukraine. The ruble fell by around 30% to record lows. It climbed a little bit at the end of the day. Russia's central bank has made an emergency emergency decision to hike interest rates from 9.5% to 20%. There were long lineups at bank machines in Russia today as people tried to withdraw currency as it lost value. Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland here in Canada says Russia was warned. And to our Russian counterparts, who are today struggling vainly to prop up a ruble in freefall, let me say, we warned you. Twelve days ago, I urged the governor of the Russian Central Bank not to allow her government to launch an illegal and unprovoked war. The West's economic sanctioned I warned, would be swift, coordinated, sustained, and crushing. They are, and they will continue to be. Joining me now is Eric Miller, president of the Rideau Potomac Strategy Group and fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. Eric, thanks so much for being here tonight. Thanks for having me, Ben. So, I mean, we expected this was going to be a very bad Monday for the Russian economy. Just how bad was it? Oh, it was very bad. As you noted in your report, the rubles in freefall. People are struggling to get money out of ATM machines. Uh, Apple Pay and other services are shut down, causing chaos for those wanting to ride the metro in Moscow. And of course, uh, you've seen uh, significant uh, separations of Russia uh, from the global economy and from some key export markets, and therefore, uh, this will have a downstream effect on jobs and money coming into the uh, Kremlin's coffers. We also saw some divestment, I guess, from BP and Shell, some of the big players in Russia, big foreign players at least. Absolutely. Uh, they've uh, each decided to sever, as well as a major Norwegian uh, company on the refining side, have decided to sever their business activities in Russia. Uh, ostensibly taking major hits to their balance sheet, although I hope for their sake they had uh, some risk insurance that could help to cover it. But what this means is that the Russian oil sector will be that much more bereft of advanced technology. And well, for now, at least uh, the sanctions on Russia's oil sector uh, are not there because basically it's non-oil exports that are, uh, are affected. Uh, Russia will find itself in a position over the medium term where its oil sector will become less competitive and fewer people will want to take those barrels. Eric, I mean, do you see this? I've never seen something happen so quickly in the global economy, but do you see this having an impact on the kinds of calculations that Russia can make as far as the war is concerned? Well, uh, what you've also seen in addition to the economic piece is the Europeans in particular stepping up. You've seen some lethal aid coming from Canada and from the US, but in an extraordinary move, you saw the German government announce a hundred uh, billion euro increase in its defense budget and essentially swearing off its policy of pacifism. You've seen the Dutch, the Germans, the Swedes, and even the EU itself providing weapons. The EU provided fighters. And so, well, the economic strategy uh, is certainly something that is having an effect and that people are noticing. The fact that the Europeans in particular are stepping up and are providing material uh, to help Ukraine prosecute its defense is something which is 
really extraordinary. And so in essence, forms a bit of a one-two punch. Russia is still one of the top, I think it's the 11th largest economy in the world. When you uh -huh. clamp down on an economy of that size, even though it's exports, you know, you don't see a lot of their exports on our shelves. But when you clamp down on an economy that size, what sort of domino effect does it have around the world? So you take the wheat sector, for example, Russia is the third largest wheat producer in the world. Ukraine is the eighth largest wheat producer. And they sell an awful lot of their wheat to the Middle East. So Egyptians, for example, eat twice the amount of bread per capita than the average person in the world. And what we saw during the, um, during the, uh, the prequel to the Arab Spring was a huge surge in food prices, 2008, 2009, into 2010. And so when that grain doesn't flow out of the Black Sea ports into the Middle East, grain prices go up and people get hungry in the Middle East and therefore become restive. And so we have not even begun to see the downstream ramifications here. Certainly the price of $100 oil is something that everyone in North America sees and feels at the pumps. And there's no doubt that that, part, that can go higher. And the reason that the United States uh, in particular has not favored taking Russian barrels out of the world oil supply is because you would see oil hit an extraordinary level because there would just be such a huge shortage in available supply. And so over time, there will be some adjustments there, but Western consumers will feel a lot of pain. And of course, if you're in Europe, there's always the risk that Russia, which is a major supplier of natural gas, will choose to cut off uh, major countries in Western Europe as a uh, as a strategy to try to pressure them to stop their support of Ukraine. I'm speaking with Eric Miller, president of the Rideau Potomac Strategy Group and a fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. So if I hear you correctly, there's still a lot of, there's a lot of a back and forth to be had, even on the economic side at this point. Oh, absolutely. Uh, certainly, uh, you have seen the West do extraordinary things. Essentially, uh, you saw Minister Freeland, whose clip you played earlier, was integral in cutting off uh, the access of the Russian central bank to its reserves, many of which are held abroad. You've seen the high profile move to remove many Russian banks from the SWIFT system, which essentially means that the Russian payment network, uh, if it touches in any way, shape or form, the outside world uh, are, are really undermined. And so... I think really what you will see, though, is if this war continues, and you've seen the video of miles-long columns of Russian armor heading toward Kiev, and certainly their first strategy has not worked. And so Russia, we've seen them dropping cluster bombs on apartment buildings today. They will get more um, ferocious in terms of how they prosecute the war. And it may be that the uh, that the Europeans and North America and the Japanese and others decided to decide to step up and cut off Russian energy supplies. After all, as one European analyst said today, spring is coming and we may not need that gas as much. Canada did ban uh, imports of Russian oil today. I know we don't import much of it, but there's been a whole debate going on now about why Canada can't be a supplier of safe energy to places like Europe uh, to wean themselves off Russia. What do you make of that whole debate? Well, the reason why Canada is not a supplier of safe energy to Europe has to do with pipeline opposition in Ontario and Quebec. 
really as a country, Canada has failed to take full advantage of its natural resource gifts. And this move that we've seen in the sclerosis in interprovincial politics around infrastructure construction that would see energy from Alberta and Saskatchewan and natural gas from BC flowing to both coasts has really hampered Canada's ability to come to Europe's aid in a time of need. And you've seen a significant amount of imports of oil from uh, not only Russia, but also from Venezuela and Eastern Canada. And it makes no sense why Canada would want to support Vladimir Putin and Nicolas Maduro and not uh, its fellow citizens in Western Canada. And so I think Canadians need to take a really hard look and say, if we want to be a supplier of reliable energy that supports freedom in the world, we are going to have to put pipeline infrastructure that allows us to get our landlocked resources to market. Certainly not something we would see happen quickly, though. I imagine we can't come to Europe's aid anytime soon. Uh, you would have to cobble together some things. I mean, I think in, in some respects, uh, you could send some oil supplies there. I think, honestly, the U.S. out of the Marcellus Shale in Pennsylvania is in a better position to send, in particular, natural gas to Europe. In the last few years, Germany has built a number of new natural gas import terminals, which would become very useful in the event of importing natural gas from the United States. But again, Canada's indecision when it comes to energy infrastructure has taken itself out of the game. And I think it's, it behooves Canadians uh, in all parts of the country to have a serious look at themselves and say, is this where we want to be? Do we want to be dependent on buying from others or do we want to be suppliers of energy that support freedom in the world? Eric Miller, I, I believe you've joined a fairly growing chorus when it comes to uh, to having a good hard look at that. Um, thank you so much again for your time and your insight tonight. Thank you. Have a good evening.